Ben Patterson says, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. Hey, this is Taylor, and welcome back to Elevate Retake. We want you to experience faith as the continual everyday process of learning more about the Bible, ourselves, and God. And we believe that this podcast will be just what you need to come to a closer relationship with God. This week on our podcast, we have James Weingardner. He is the senior pastor of Keene Church, and he will be continuing our look at the crisis stories of Luke chapter 8. The title of this episode is The Healings. Your engaged question is, how does it feel when God takes his time? A key passage we will be looking at is found in Lamentations 3, verse 25 and 26, and it reads, The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. A key theme we will be looking at is, though God appears to be late, he is always right on time. So there used to be a company, I don't know if it's still around, it used to make watches. It's called Timex. Timex had a, they had a research department. Their research department did some research on people waiting And it turns out that after their research, they found that people on average will wait on the car in front of them that isn't moving even though the light is green for 13 seconds before honking. I see some shaking of the heads. You don't think it's that long, huh? People will wait um, to say something. If they hear somebody talking during the movie at a movie theater, they'll wait 26 seconds before they tell them to hush. Waiting on somebody who's walked away, they'll wait about the same amount of time before they steal their seat. People who are talking too loud on a cell phone, they'll wait 45 seconds before they shush them. For a table at a restaurant, people will wait about 13 minutes. And for a blind date to show up, I don't know how they time that, Uh, 20 minutes, and for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner, they'll wait 20 minutes before they start eating. There's a story of a fellow that was talking to God, and he said, uh, God, I read in your word that a thousand years is like a single minute for you. Is that true? And God said, yes, that's true. And he said, well, then it's probably also true that a million dollars is like a penny. And, the, and God said, yeah, that's right. And he says, can I have a penny? And God said, just a minute. Our scripture comes from Luke 8, verse 40. It's a story you know so very well. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him because they were all waiting for him. And look, a man who was named Jairus came. And this man was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he started imploring him to come to his house because he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. So we've identified the crisis. It's an unequivocal crisis. It's a life and death crisis. It's an immediate crisis. And he's made the request properly on the ground at Jesus' feet, and we have him identified because he's an important person. The story goes on. Now, as he was going, the crowds were pressing against him. So it turns out that Jesus apparently responded immediately and cut to, 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 the, to the crisis unequivocally and immediately he, he responded. 
Verse 43 says, And a woman who was suffering from hemorrhages, now hemorrhages is not a word that's actually in the Greek. They use the word risi and emma, flow of blood. This woman's name is not given, so we'll just call her Emma. That's, you know, the word for blood is Hema. You thought I was going to call her flow, didn't you? That would have been bad. Okay. And a woman who was suffering from hemorrhages, Emma, for 12 years, who though she had spent all her assets on physicians, was not able to be healed anymore, came up behind him. So we got a new crisis identified. This is not an immediate crisis. This is opposite of the other one. This is not apparently life and death, and it's, it's, it's not unequivocal. When for a woman does a flow of blood become a crisis? After a day? After two days? I'll give you somewhere between two days and 12 years, it becomes a crisis. And she touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhaging stopped. She doesn't have any request, no identification. Jesus said, who is the one that touched me? Now, there's a healing that's been identified. It's a private healing. And Emma, once it kept confidential, and it initiates a significant delay for Jairus, waiting is beginning, but the waiting is ending for Emma. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are pressing hard and crowding you. Jesus said, Someone touched me because I know power has gone out from me. And the woman saw that she did not escape notice. She came trembling and falling down before him in the presence of all the people. She told for what reason she'd touched him and that she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue ruler's house saying, Your daughter is dead. Trouble the teacher no longer. But Jesus, when he heard this, replied to him, Don't be afraid. Only believe and she'll be healed. Now, when they came to the house, he did not allow anyone to go with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. They were all weeping and mourning for her, but he said, don't weep because she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they began laughing at him because they knew that she was dead. But he took up her hand and called, saying, child, get up. And her spirit returned, or her breath returned, and she got up immediately, and he ordered something to be given to her to eat, and her parents were astonished, and he ordered them not to tell what had happened. So another healing identified. This one's immediate. It's ultimate healing from death. It's unequivocal, and it's public. Now I've got a pop quiz. I know you have quizzes that go up on the screen here. I don't have a fancy quiz like that. You just have to think the answers in your mind. Are you ready? You're at Starbucks in line. Y'all go to Starbucks, right? They have decaffeinated products, I'm sure. So you're in line at Starbucks, and the one behind the counter and the person at the front of the line are in an extended discussion of cold brew techniques. And when you think it's about to wrap up, then they lapse into bean harvest sustainability. What do you do? A, you rejoice because you're observing a connection in a very polarized society. No? B, you leave an extra tip because you're excited to learn what they're talking about. C, you finish reading your morning devotional while you wait and you're glad for the moments of pause. Four, you make cattle sounds like at the slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. No? Okay. Next quiz. You're going to an organ recital at the Meyerson. The person in front of you in the line 
is trying to get their e-ticket to work on their device. It's been over seven minutes, and no end is in sight. A, you invite the person next to you in line to a virtual organ recital with Dr. Howard. B, you begin an ad hoc Bible study with the other people in line. C, you scheme to sneak around the ticket people to get into the hall another way. D, cattle sounds. There are all kinds of waiting in life. We have little trivial waitings like that, waitings in doctor's offices, waitings that happen all the time, but we also have more serious waiting. Many of us have stressed out over waiting for God to provide his chosen spouse, his career that is meaningful or deep. For many people, waiting for a child is excruciating. And there are waitings in hard marriages. Lewis Smead says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures, we cannot, as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting on the Lord is an act of obedience. John Ortberg says, waiting is the hardest work of hope. There's a story about a, uh, a person that went to a, a fruit stand in the countryside, you know, and, and they waited at the fruit stand, and they, they went to this fruit stand a lot, and they'd always been treated well, but it's one of those days, have you noticed that the COVID thing and all the masks and all the, dis, the distance that it creates between people has made you a little short? It has me. It, it makes me uh, feel pesky sometimes. Makes me feel, oh, just short. So this guy, this person is standing in line. It's a lady standing in line. She's waiting for the, and, and everybody in line ahead of her seems to be getting wonderful, wonderful service. And all it's doing is ticking her off. She sees them getting service, but she's still waiting. And it's hot. And she's annoyed. Sometimes you ever feel annoyed when there's really no reason to be annoyed, but you're just annoyed. That's me a lot. She finally gets to the front of the line and she says, I just need some grapes. And the lady says, just a second, and walks away. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The lady is fuming by this point. In her heart, she has, she has designed all manner of evil for the proprietor of this stand. Finally, the lady comes back with some gorgeous grapes and says, I'm sorry, it took so long, but for you, I wanted my very best. God comes to Abraham. Abraham wasn't asking for a promise. Abraham was just Abraham, and God said, I'm going to make you a father at age 75. I'm going to make you not only a father, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. He had to wait 24 years for that child. 400 years to become the father of a nation. 
Moses, I'm going to have you lead the children of Israel out and into the promised land. But you have to wait 40 years in the wilderness. All through the Old Testament, God promises the coming Messiah. Centuries. Centuries pass. From the time that Moses says there will come a prophecy, it's between 12 and 1400 years. The Bible says, wait on the Lord 29 times. But here's the, here's the puzzlingest one of all. Puzzlingest is a word. I just said it is. Revelation 22, 20, next to the last verse of the Bible. The one who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. So be it. Come, Lord Jesus. Not 12 or 14 centuries. 20 centuries. Ben Patterson says, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. Suffering produces perseverance. Paul says perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. God is in this, waiting. There's a really, really powerful scripture. You heard Psalm 6 earlier. You see this one about the, about the waiting. I cannot imagine being Jairus. I have daughters. And you know, we get, we get anxious if they get the sniffles. Your parents concern themselves with you. If you are a parent, you know the concern. If you're not a parent yet, you don't know the concern. Uh, I remember one time my daughter was very sick. She had, uh, this was my middle daughter, she had some sort of a respiratory thing. And, and she was crying, and, and there's, there's one thing worse than your child crying, and that is your child crying weakly. W-E-A-K-L-Y. Many of your daughters will cry weakly. W-E-E-K-L-Y. Uh, but crying weakly with an A in it. I'm not picking on girls. Boys cry too. They just hide it. So uh, my daughter, she was less than one, and and she was crying so weakly she could barely get her breath to cry. That's a very frightening thing. We had guests in our home that had planned to come from a long distance for a long time, and they were in our home and, and talk about frustrating. Somebody had to kind of tend the guests while we were trying to have this child, uh, the, the doctor had said, put her uh, face near the open freezer so she could get cold air and then put her near some steam by the shower to get some warm air back and forth, you know, hot and cold therapy, right? And so we were trying to do this. If you're a parent, you know the, 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 the hours and hours of this. If you're a child, you're ungrateful for it. No offense. You weren't there, really. I mean, you didn't remember it, but... You go back and forth, and, and we're having to somehow tend uh, the other child and, and this, this, the, these guests. 
it made it seem twice as long. It was a long, long night. We just kept wishing the guests would leave, but you can't just say, you know, we're really having a tough night. Why don't you haul on out of here? Usually they don't say, we don't say that to our guests. So if you're at our house and it looks like we're having a rough night, When we suffer with waiting, there are important and powerful things that happen to us. Now, here's, here's a problem. We sometimes get the perspective that we are supposed to do something to accomplish the end for which we're waiting. And, and, you know, the perfect example of this is when you're looking for a spouse, right? I went through school here, and I didn't have a spouse. And, you know, they used to have a saying in those days for religion students. We didn't have a theology program in those days because we didn't teach Hebrew, thankfully. And so they had this saying, when you were going to graduate without a spouse, no peach, no preach is what they used to say. Peach was slang for a wife, in case you didn't know. And so my anxiety grew. I was getting to graduate, and, uh, and there wasn't a, a, a girl at this whole school that showed any interest in me. Shame on you. <laughs> so time went, time went. But, you know, sometimes even just a little bit of patience. I remember I dated a lot of girls at this school. I dated a couple of girls for a long period of time, and I dated several girls for a short period of time. I remember one I asked, I, uh, she used to work in the bursar's window back when the administration was in the administration building. You know where the bursar's window was, Right. And she sat behind that bursar's window. She's a nice girl. And I said, uh, hey, there's a program on Saturday night. Are you going? She said, I don't know yet. I said, great. Would you like to go with me? And she said, no. You know, usually they make excuses. Usually they try to be helpful. But no. No, she was not helpful. Well, I guess she was helpful in a way. Anyway, the point is I waited and I waited. And you know, I never would have thought. I never th would have thought that God would have delivered to me his perfect mate for me after graduation, after my first placement. Along came... My first placement, and I was, I was placed with a pastor who had been an, a missionary evangelist in, in inter-American division. Big, tall, dour fellow. Almost never smiled. And it was in the Fort Worth church, and so I went and found a place to stay, and I went up to the Fort Worth church, and lo and behold, he had a daughter. What a charming, charming young lady. Everything developed beautifully for us to date, break up, and get back together again for four years. It wasn't a really quick experience, but it was a good experience. And in the end, 
We've been married now for 34 plus years. And God is good. But there's waiting involved. Painful waiting. Anxious waiting. Waiting that, that doesn't tell you what the answer is. And the problem is, as I was trying to say earlier, sometimes get our roles reversed. Sometimes we think that our job is to go out there and get it done. And a lot of people do that. And I think a lot of people marry the wrong person when they do that. A lot of people think, I've got to go out there and I've got to get a career. I remember when I got out of high school, I said, what will I major in? I don't do anything well. Right? I mean, that's one of the things you kind of look at when you're in high school. What am I going to major in? What do I do well? And, and I didn't do anything well. I, all I could do was play the French horn. And so I said, well, I guess I'll major in music. Somebody said, do you want to be a band director? And I said, not really. They said, well, then what do you plan to do with that? I said, I don't know. It's the only thing I'm good in. They're giving me a scholarship. I guess I'll go take that. We try to be the person who goes and makes the acquisition. Guess what? You are not the hunter-gatherer. God is the hunter-gatherer. You are his prey. God is out there hunting for a spouse for you if you want one. I'm not saying you have to want one. But God is out there hunting for your spouse. And when your heart is right and their heart is right and y'all are ready, he will put you together. You don't have to worry. And you don't have to do it yourself. Your career, statistics show that the career you start in will probably not be the career you finish in. So don't worry about it. Just continue to make yourself better. Continue to grow. And God will grow your career. I'm telling you, who would have guessed that I would be here 25 years after graduating law school? 25 years of representing people and, and time flows and time goes and you think, well, this is it then. This is the whole thing until God calls you back. And there's a change. You are not the hunter. You are not, frankly, hate to tell you this, you are not the decider. God is hunting you. He's deciding for you. And you are the agreeer. You are the one who is willing to stop running and be captured. Are you ready? Apparently not. Or the waiting would be over. Maybe our readiness is what God is waiting for. I think of this, this fella, Job. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Job's got it all, of course, you know. He's got the, the American dream. He's never heard of America, but he's got the American dream. And then in a day, the American dream is wiped out. Job 1.20, he says, Job arose. He tore his, the Hebrew says robe, he tore his robe and he shaved his head, both signs of mourning. And he fell on the ground 
And he worshipped God. And he said, Naked I came out from my mother's wound, and naked I will return. Yahweh gives, Yahweh takes. Let Yahweh's name be praised. How does he do that? Everything he had was taken. How does he do that? I want to do that. I want to know that whether it's waiting or whether it's suffering or whether it's loss, that I can say, I came by grace of God. I will go by the grace of God. And in the middle, I will live by the grace of God. May God be praised. Lamentations 3.25, Yahweh is so good to those who wait on him, to the person that seeks him. It's good to wait in silence for the salvation of Yahweh. It's good for a man who carries the yoke of his childhood. Let him sit alone and be silent when he has laid it out on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. What a thoughtful message brought to us by James Weingartner. You know, normally right here, you would hear me, Taylor, respond to the message and maybe even offer some encouragement to you. We are still working behind the scenes on something new and we would love to hear from you. All you have to do is click the link in the description to leave us a voice message. I cannot wait to tell you about everything that we are working on, but it's not quite ready yet. So in the meantime, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Elevate Retake is recorded weekly at Elevate, a community fellowship of Keene Church. Our audio is captured by Blake Snyder. Sound design and editing are done by Shane Miosi and Inspire Productions. Executive producers are Michael Gibson and Jonathan Coker. Our host is Taylor Weaver. Our team includes Evelyn Alanis, Candice McCormick, Simu Ciologa, Alicia Galvan, Emily Weaver, Zandria Andrade, Megan Metzner, and AJ Adams. Special thanks to 88.3 KJRN and the Keen Church Media Team. You can find Elevate on Instagram at thisiselevatetx. For more about Elevate Community Fellowship, visit thisiselevate.org. Currently, our services are live streamed every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time at thisiselevate.org forward slash live. We'd love to have you join us. There's always room for one more.